So here I am. I'm going to preach to you today the sermon I was supposed to preach last week. It's from Psalm 100. Uh, There are five verses in Psalm 100. We're just going to look at verses 1, 2, and 3. Now, y'all are kind of excited. Not the whole chapter? Wow. Well, it's just as long, so don't worry about that. Here's the, the name of my sermon. I came up with this two weeks ago. I need help with my attitude. And apparently some of you do too, all right? Now, I really should know better. When I decide to preach on a subject like this, man, I should know in advance that the devil is out to get me. He is going to do everything he can to test my attitude. The devil tests our attitudes every day. And he does everything he can to damage them. And sometimes we let him, huh? One of my favorite stories is about the woman who left her home one morning to do her shopping. Uh, It was not in America where you go to the supermarket and buy all your things. She lived in a small European village where you go to shop individually in these specific little stores. And so the first stop she made was at the cheese shop for some Swiss cheese. And then to the bakery to buy some bread. And then to the fruit stand to buy oranges. And then she went to the vegetable market for some salad fixings. And finally, she stopped by the pastry for dessert. But everywhere she went, she frowned and she turned up her nose and said how terrible everyone else smelled. Every shop she went in had a bad aroma. Every person she came up to had an unpleasant body odor. The very streets smelt badly. She complained to everyone she met about the stench that was in the air. Well, it was only after she returned home and unpackaged her purchases that she discovered that the clerk at the cheese shop did not give her Swiss cheese at all. He gave her Limburger cheese. And Limburger cheese has a very ripe odor, as you know. She had been complaining about everyone else when in reality she had been carrying the problem around in her own packages. The problem had been with her all along. And that's the way it is with our attitudes, right? Sometimes we think our circumstances stink. And sometimes we think other people stink. But when we're perpetually unhappy or irritated or depressed or angry or anxious or unpleasant, perhaps the real problem is in our own attitudes, which we are carrying around inside of ourselves all the time. Boy, I can tell this is going over well. Sometimes our attitudes stink. Now, I found three different quotes a couple of weeks ago from three different sources on this subject that I love. For example, the Roman statesman and philosopher Seneca said, A man is as unhappy as he has convinced himself he is. And I love that because that's where I am a lot of the times. I am as unhappy as I have convinced myself that I am. Abraham Lincoln reportedly said, A person is about as happy as they make up their minds to be. And then I love what the great Scottish preacher, uh, Robert Murray McShane, once said. 
I feel it my duty to be as happy as the good Lord wants me to be. And so put a smile on your face. God wants you to be happy today. Today I'd like to ask you to choose a different attitude, a better attitude for your life. As we adopt the words that are found smack dab in the middle of our Bible in the 100th Psalm. The grand old 100th Psalm. This psalm divides itself into two different stanzas. These stanzas are similar, but they each have their own distinctive theme. The theme of the first stanza is, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make up a word, all right? Now, I've been guilty of doing this as I'm preaching, but I have done this pre-preaching, all right? I've made up this word, but I think it's a good word to describe verses 1 through 3. It's the word... Gladitude. I like it too. Gladitude is found right here in Psalms 100, 1 through 3. Let me just read it to you. It says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people. And we are the sheep of his pasture. Join me as we pray, would you? Heavenly Father, I love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for everyone who is in this room. I pray, dear Lord, a blessing on your word. As I try to speak it on the outside, I pray, dear Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just speak it into our hearts. We love you, Lord, and we pray that we would have a spirit of gratitude today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, gratitude is nothing more or less than simply having a glad attitude. Do you remember that old hymn, Jesus is all the world to me? I go around singing it quite often. One of the lines says, When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me He's my friend. Wow! Y'all are not impressed with my singing voice. I'll talk about that here in a moment. I was going around the house singing that last night because I believe it is true. When I am sad, he's the one who can make me glad because he's my friend. Well, according to this passage, gratitude is made up of four different ingredients that we find right here in our passage. Now, Jason, I loved it this, this Thanksgiving. I was there kind of close to the kitchen, not in the kitchen, but close to it. And I was watching my awesome wife in there. She was slave, and she was working so hard. She would take different ingredients. Cookie, aren't you? You're cookie, right? And Jason, you love to watch cookie cook too, don't you? So she's taking all these different ingredients and throwing them in bowls and then into the oven. And then all of a sudden, magically, out of the oven came this wonderful pecan pie. It was amazing. All those individual ingredients, as good as they may have been, made something that was absolutely awesome. And I think the same thing is true with our passage today. You take these four different individual ingredients, mix them together, and you come out with a spirit of gratitude. So you're wanting to know what they are, right? The first one is... Shout! That's it. First ingredient. Why do I say that? Well, verse 1. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, 
all you lands. So you're shouting, but you're shouting joy. Woo! Some of you say, well, I'm really not into shouting, preacher. I don't even shout at ball games. <laughs> well, you know, you ought to try it sometime. It really is good for you. The, the psalmist is telling us to practice letting positive, praiseworthy things come out of our mouth. Now, let me go back to the football game stuff. What I have found out at, at football games, sometimes people shout without first thinking. You know what, you know what I'm saying? They, they shout out what's in their heart. And if they would have thought it through beforehand, they probably wouldn't have shouted it out. In a similar way, that's what the psalmist is telling us to do. Have your heart so full of praise and thanksgiving to God that you just shout it out. You're shouting out all kinds of joy to the Lord. Now, the Hebrew word here means to shout or to make a loud noise. This was the word that the Hebrews used after the trumpet called for battle. When the trumpet blasted for battle, the people would shout, and then they would go into battle. Whenever they came together to worship in the temple, the priest would call them together, and he would give the call to worship, and the people would shout. It's the same word that they used when a king came into the presence of the public or the peasants. The people would shout out, Praise to the king. Now, the, the psalmist doesn't come up with this advice just somewhere out of the blue. He doesn't just suddenly take a notion to blurt this out, praise our God. Psalms 100, opening as it does with such exuberance and such praise, immediately follows Psalm 95 through Psalm 99, which are called the enthronement psalm. And let me just show you how these enthronement psalms unfold. For example, Psalm 95. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with praises. Psalms 96. O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Psalm 97, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of the isles be glad. Psalm 98, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Psalm 99, the Lord reigns, let all the people tremble, he dwells between the cherubim, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and He is high above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name, because He is holy. Woo! <laughs> Y'all will get it in a minute, maybe. Here's the point. You cannot submerge yourself in these enthronement psalms without coming, without coming out from them, not shouting. And not saying something like, make a joyful shout to the Lord. Likewise, you cannot submerge yourself in the glorious, eternal, providential, perpetual reign of our great God and our loving Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, without lifting up your voice and telling the whole world that you have a reason to shout and to sing and to praise and to be happy 
and to be glad. Woo! Now here's the deal. The New Testament picks up on this and says that if we don't do that, if we don't shout out our praise, the rocks are going to do it. And they're going to receive the blessing intended for us. So there it is. Here's the first ingredient to having again, and we're talking about having a glad attitude. To have gladitude. The first ingredient is to shout. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. Woo! That's the best Ric Flair I got, man. <laughs> I shouldn't even say that. So let's practice that, all right? I'm on, on three, we're just going to shout it out. We're going to shout some joy out. You ready? Now, this is, this is a strain for Free Will Baptist, I know. But let's try it. One, two, three. There you go. Only half of you did it, too. I was watching. Let's try it one more time with everyone thinking about how glorious and great our God is. One, two, three. There you go. Man, y'all are awesome. The first ingredient to a good attitude is shouting. The second ingredient is serving. Look at verse number two. Serve the Lord with... Come on, people. Pick it up, man. Serve the Lord how? With gladness. With a little bit of gladitude. We are to serve the Lord. Now, this verse has personal meaning for me. Because several years ago, and I mean it's been a while now, I grew quite discouraged and even depressed in ministry. I don't know if you realize that discouragement has been called the occupational hazard of ministry. And I know a whole lot of preachers and a whole lot of missionaries who are laboring with all their hearts for the Lord, who are battling terrific bouts of discouragement, and they're ready to throw in the towel because it becomes a strain. Most of the reasons why preachers leave or most of the preachers who leave give the reason for leaving the ministry this very thing, discouragement. So it was one of those days when, man, I, I mean, I was down. I felt defeated. I was in a defeated frame of mind. I was somewhat depressed. I was asking myself, why in the world am I doing this? And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me. And he'll get a hold of you, man. And he beat me up a little bit. And he brought this verse to my mind that I should be serving the Lord with gladness. That it's a privilege to serve God. And I need to be serving with gladness. Now I had been serving the Lord alright with faithfulness and with hard work and with exhausting labors. With drudgery, with a heavy heart and with a burdened soul. But I had not been serving the Lord with gladness. I had been carrying around a pound of Limburger cheese. And everybody stunk. Now, guys, if, if that is true with me, I know it can be true with you. In your service to the Lord, sometimes you just kind of get in this rut and you serve because maybe nobody else is willing to do it or maybe you feel some kind of great obligation to do it but your heart's really not in it. And then when we do it like that, we really do get into a rut and we start looking at everybody else and saying, well, you know what? They ought to be doing more. I'm carrying the load. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we get a really bad attitude. And can I tell you what? If you've got a bad attitude, the people around you are probably going to catch on and they're going to have a bad attitude too. And before you know it, everybody's got a bad attitude. 
And God is shaking us up and saying, no, no, you don't get it. If you really want gratitude in your life and a positive attitude, you've got to shout that praise and you need to serve with a smile on your face. It's a privilege. It is a privilege to serve the Lord God Almighty. So we serve with gladness. The third ingredient is coming. Look at verse number two again. Come before his presence with what? With singing. Now, isn't that unusual? How do you come into the presence of God? You do it with singing, with singing. Well, God created music, and, and even though I don't have much of a singing voice, I know that God's music is powerful, and it's therapeutic, and it's healing. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I've been down and defeated and worn out and weary, and then all of a sudden I hear a Christian song on the radio, or the Holy Spirit brings a song into my mind, and I start singing it, and all of a sudden I go from a frown to a smile, because that's what God's music does. And we come into the presence of God singing. Woo! Now, you know I, know, I know I'm touching on a controversial subject, though, because some of you are very, well, you're just pretty hard-nosed when it comes to Christian music. You think that your music is the only kind of Christian music, and the only kind of Christian music that can bring a blessing is the kind of music that you approve of. Well, can I tell you something? You're wrong. You're wrong. If it's God's music, it's good music. If God's lyrics are in it, it's good for you. You need to hear it. Here at Kavanaugh, we have different styles of music. You come on Wednesday night, you're going to hear one style of music. You come to our first service on Sunday morning, it's a different style of music. You come to this service, it is another different kind of music. You know which one is my favorite? Whichever one I'm in. I love them all. Because they all make me rejoice and praise God. And they all usher me into the very presence of God. There's all kinds of Christian music. Even in our hymn books. Man, I tell you what. We don't sing out of our hymn books much anymore. But there are some good old hymns. And I'm not talking about, we call old ones the ones that are found in the Heavenly Highway book. You know? that were written in the 20s and 30s and 40s. That's not the ones I'm talking about. I'm talking about the really old ones that were written in the 17 and 1800s. One of my favorite does appear in our hymn book. Here's, here's one line from this great old hymn. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness. Fill us with the light of day. Wow. That has some theology to it. You know what, guys? You may be depressed and you may be down and you may have a bad attitude, but you start singing great hymns like that our praise songs that our praise team leads us in on Sunday morning, and you will be ushered into the throne of grace. And your attitude will go up. Make a joyful noise before the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. 
But then number four, the fourth ingredient, know. Know that the Lord. And now the psalmist is going to bring us really to the heart of the matter. If we are going to shout and serve and sing, we have got to know three things about God. Okay, again, follow me. We're talking about having gratitude, a glad attitude. The ingredients are shouting, serving, singing, and then knowing. But you can only shout and serve and sing after you know these three things. What are they? They're found in verse number three. The first is know He is our Lord. Know that the Lord God, He is God. Those five words, the Lord, He is God, is what separates this psalm from all the rest of the whole body of literature on the subject of positive thinking. You may know that there is a vast body of literature out there about being optimistic and about thinking positively. I've got a bunch of those books in my library. I've read them before, such as The Power of Positive Thinking by Peel. I can remember my dad telling me he had to listen to those tapes, and most salespeople have to listen to those motivational talks and speeches by these specialists. But here's what I want you to know, church. Positive thinking is worthless unless it is grounded in the truth of God's theology. It's nothing but cotton candy and vaporous thoughts without this truth. And the truth is, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Five words. The Lord, He is God. Say it with me. The Lord, He is God. One more time. The Lord, He is God. That is the truth. The power of the existence and perpetual reign of the Lord Himself as God of the universe is sufficient to make us optimistic and to give us joy and gratitude. Why? These five words, the Lord, He is God, is the answer to every problem we face in life. Knowing the Lord, He is God, is the solution to every heartache. Knowing the Lord, He is God, is the remedy for every perplexity that we will ever face. Church, the Lord, He is God. He is on the throne. He is in control. He is our God, and nothing can withstand Him. Woo! He is our Lord. He is our God. I'm reminded when Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Reformation, was running from one crisis after another, he would sometimes tell his men, come men, let's do their worst, and we will sing the 46th Psalm. That is his version of Psalms 46 that again is found in our hymn book. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. So here it is, guys, listen to me. We shout, we serve, we sing. And we know that He is God. The second truth of that is this. He's not only God, He's our Maker. Verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. So the second truth is, He is our Maker. He is God and He is our Maker. He has made us and not we ourselves. That means that there is no self-made man. No self-made woman. 
Now here's the tendency because of the pride inside of us. We think we're somebody because we've made ourselves somebody. No, you're not. You're nothing without God. You wouldn't be here without God. He made you. He is creator God. He's made us all. And I think we can all agree in that truth, can't we? You know, that's not what this is talking about. Know when the psalmist said here, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. He was speaking specifically to the nation of Israel. God has made us and we did not make ourselves. And if you study the Old Testament, you know that's true. He began that nation with one man, Abraham. And Abraham had a son, the miracle son Isaac. And then through his offspring, there were 12 boys that were raised who became 12 tribes in Israel. And out of those 12 tribes, God brought this great nation into existence. And the writer of Psalms 100 is saying this, Know that the Lord, He is God. And it is God who made us this nation. We did not make ourselves. But you know what? You follow that thread on through. Out of that nation, God brought His Son into existence. His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who bore the sin of the world on Calvary's cross. When His blood was shed, when the blood flowed from His side, His head, His hands, and His feet, and dropped on planet earth, His blood served as remission from our sins. And out of His blood grew the church. We are His people. So know this, the Lord he is God. We are not our own. He has made us. He's our God. Isn't that great? I tell you, that changes my attitude when I realize that, you know what? He did make me. He made me special. He died for me. He's got a plan for me. And his plan is a good plan. I've been consumed with this thought the last two weeks in, in, uh, in my evening prayers, I, I pray throughout the day, but before I go to bed, I always kneel down and I pray. And this thought has just, it just keeps coming back to me. How that, uh, how that God has, has something special for, for me, just, just little old me. It, it blows my mind that when I was still in my mother's womb, God knew me personally. And that God had a plan for my life. A little bitty boy growing up in the country in Midland, Texas. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> that God had a plan for me and that God called me to do what I'm doing today. That's his plan for me. And it's a great plan for me. It's what God made me to do, to preach. As I was praying about this, the thought flashed into my mind. I know, I know my life and I know that there have been at least two occasions when, when I could have forfeited this calling in this ministry. But God protected me because he had a plan for me. And again, I'm able to do what I'm doing today because of God's plan for me. And at the same time, God was doing this in my life in Midland, Texas. He was doing it in her life in Corning, Arkansas. And then through these strange events, God brought us together at Hillsdale College and she saw me and fell instantly in love with me. 
Well, it was the other way around, I will admit that. God's plan was for us to get married, and then God's plan was for us to wait five years before we had Whitney, and then almost seven more years before we had Callie, and then another couple of years before we had Zane. Man, we've just stretched this raising kid thing out, man. You know, and I was thinking about this other night when I was praying. If, if we would have done what you're supposed to do when you get married, go ahead and start having kids, we would have these kids raised. Uh, honestly, Zane's about to turn 18. If we would have just, you know, done what we were supposed to do, he'd be 30. And it <laughs> reminds me of what my dad told me one time. Just years ago, he said, son, don't, yeah, I don't know what to tell you about retirement and saving money. Your mom and I weren't really able to save any money until we got rid of you two kids. <laughs> I might as well just forget it now. I mean, I, I don't know. But you know what? Here's the deal. It was God's plan. And God's plan is a great plan. And when I know God made me and has a purpose for my life. God put this church together and He has a purpose for us. Boy, I tell you what, it changes my attitude. It puts a smile on my face. It causes me to shout, to serve, and to sing. Because I know that. And then thirdly, and I'm almost finished, we know that He is our shepherd. Verse 3, know that the Lord, He is God... It is he who made us and not we ourselves. And then number three, we are his people. And we are the sheep of his pasture. Now, if you're like me, when you hear that, you automatically think of another Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Are you getting it? It's a life changer. Or at least an attitude changer. I shout, I serve, I sing. Why? Because I know the Lord, He is God. He's made me. And He didn't, he didn't just make me and leave me here. He's my shepherd. What does a shepherd do? Takes care of his sheep. Let me tell you something. If you belong to Him... He's going to take care of you. You may not have everything you want, but He's going to give you everything you need. He'll take care of you. That'll change your attitude. I, I don't know if you remember the story that flashed around the world a few years ago regarding the kidnapping of two missionaries in the Philippines. A husband and wife team, Martin and Gracia Burnham. They were serving the new tribe's mission in the Philippines. Martin was a missionary pilot. Their anniversary was coming up, and so they decided that they would take a holiday on, on one of the island resorts in the Philippines. And so they went to this island resort. They were enjoying the weekend, but then all of a sudden, tragedy occurred. Terrorists who had ties with Osama bin Laden burst into the resort, and they dragged 
all the people at the resort into the jungle. And for the next year, one year, Martin and Gracia were held captive by terrorists. They received very little food. They were beaten often. Many times they heard gunfire. Eventually Martin was killed. Gracia was shot, but she lived to tell the story. She said that near the end of their ordeal, a passage of Scripture kept coming up to both of them, and it was Psalms 100. One night it looked like it was going to rain, and so when they set their hammocks up, they put a tarp over their hammocks. And before they fell asleep, Martin said this to Gracia. You know, Gracia, I don't know why the Lord has allowed all of this to happen, But today I've been thinking about Psalm 100 again. How we can serve the Lord with gladness. Gracia, you know, just because we're here doesn't mean we can't serve Him with gladness. So let's make a decision tonight that we are going to serve the Lord with gladness. And so they made that decision. They they prayed together. They laid down in their hammocks and they went to sleep. And then the gunfire started. Gracia was shot. She fell to the ground out of her hammock. The ground was wet, and so she started rolling. She slid down a hill. Her body was stopped when it rolled into the body of Martin. He had been shot in the chest. He was bleeding profusely. And Gracia said, when I hit his body, I heard him take one deep final breath, and then he was gone. Marcy was or Gracia was rescued soon after that. But you know what? The words from Psalm 100 never died in Gracia's heart. Sometime later she said, The Lord has given me joy. The Lord has made me glad. You know, I, I can have a bad day here at home, but I'm still, and listen to the words she uses, I am still just dumb enough to be really really happy. I can't explain it, but that's the way it is. And I don't think that I have to feel guilty about it or deny it. (laughs) Wow. Does this this gratitude just happen when we're having good days? Well, it's, it's a little easier to be glad when we are having good days. But I think Martin and Gracie have proved to us that, you know what, it can happen even when we're having bad days. Even when the bottom falls out. Why? Because we know these three things about God. We know that the Lord, He is God. We know that He has made us and we know that He is our good shepherd and He's going to take care of us. Therefore, We can shout, we can serve, and we can sing with gladness. So it brings me back to that little song I was singing last night in the house, kids. When I am sad to him I go, no other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me, he's my friend. And then, bam, last night it hit me when I was walking down the hall and I sang that. The only way I can be glad is when Jesus is my friend. And the only way he can be my friend is when I've made him savior of my life. So if you haven't done that, 
Why don't you do it this morning? Make Jesus your friend. Accept him as Savior of your life. Then you know what? It doesn't matter what you're going through. He's going to be your friend. And when you know that, you can shout and you can serve and you can sing. And you can have a spirit of gratitude.